and still this evening. So this evening I want to explore with you one of the very um, fundamental dimensions of our practice, which is how we relate to uh, pleasant and unpleasant experiences. Very, very um, simple, very powerful area. We could say that the, um, the world is in so many places on fire because of um, confusion and lack of skill and wisdom in reacting to uh, pleasant and unpleasant experiences. And that our own minds are often um, way out of balance at times, sometimes uh, driven by what's difficult or painful or in search of what we want or like. So both the world and our own minds, really we can see that so much uh, difficulty, challenge and suffering is there uh, because of uh, lack of wisdom in this area. The practice with pleasant and unpleasant actually was pointed to very directly uh, by the historical Buddha as the second foundation of mindfulness. That is how we give attention to pleasant, unpleasant and neutral in our experience and how we uh, learn about that. So it's, it's pretty interesting and I think in some ways uh, uh, noteworthy that uh, historically the Buddha just had four foundations of mindfulness, basically four places to pay attention. The first was the body. The third was looking into what we would call thoughts and emotions. And the fourth was looking into some of the broader patterns of experience. And I, I like to think of that as both um, uh, personal patterns, our personal habit patterns, for example, and also more universal patterns of how the, the mind and heart and body work. And then the second foundation, one whole area was just to look at um, how we relate to pleasant, unpleasant and neutral. You know, if we were thinking about all the main areas of our experience that we wanted to pay attention to, uh, we might not look at that, but it's actually an area that's both fundamental and very powerful and also very accessible. You know, I was, I'm, I, I like when I teach often to, like I teach on Wednesday mornings at Spirit Rock, I like to teach uh, several weeks in a row and work with a theme and give people practices to take home between meetings. And here I was just coming for one time, you know, and um, so what, what to do? And I, I wanted to uh, teach on something that I think is both uh, accessible, quite accessible, there all the time, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, and yet very powerful and uh, in a sense uh, far-reaching when we, when we practice in that way. One of, one of the 
uh, context that we can really see the power of this sense, uh, this way of practicing with pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral is by looking at the, uh, perhaps what's the fundamental teaching, the one that the Buddha came to on the uh, night of his awakening, the teaching called the teaching of dependent arising, which many of you know the teaching of the four truths, the four noble truths. Uh, And the teaching of dependent arising is a more uh, detailed and subtle unpacking of that. And it really, it basically says, it, it divides experience a little bit differently. It says that there are the basically three areas uh, or three, um, three ways to look at experience or that, that every experience has these three aspects. The first is what we bring to experience. The second is what happens in our experience. And the third are the uh, consequences of our experience. And so the, I won't go into too much detail on the model, but it basically says that what we bring to experience is a combination of um, uh, basically background ignorance and wisdom, certain amount of ignorance, certain amount of wisdom, and then uh, quite a bit of habit energy. Some of it uh, good habits, some of it bad habits, <laughs> right? And, um, and then we have also have, what we also bring to experience are, are the uh, sort of some of the universal qualities of what it means to be a human being. We have perception, we have uh, body and mind and heart and so forth. And so the model says, the model is particularly a model of what generates suffering, what generates um, experience in which we're um, in some way reacting negatively to experience and having various kinds of suffering. I'll get into that in a little little more depth in a moment. And it says, and and so there's a particular focus on an underlying ignorance in which we basically think that we are separate individuals disconnected from others and needing to look out for number one and so forth. And uh, rather than seeing us as these brilliant interconnected beings composed of vast awareness, love, and shining compassionate heart. Until I said that, you probably were thinking that looking out for number one is not all that bad. <laughs> but but there, is, there, there is an option. <laughs> there is a further option. And, and so when we, when we uh, have that more limited sense of ourselves, a lot of it driven by uh, negative experiences from the past in which we maybe are wounded or hurt and we need, think we need to protect ourselves and so forth. And a certain amount of that makes a certain amount of sense. And then we develop habit energies that uh, sort of tend to influence experience. So all of that is there. It's like, uh, it's like we might say it's the, the background that we bring to every experience. We have a certain amount of background. In the West, we sometimes talk about part of that as the unconscious that we bring to experience and so forth. 
So we have all of that as the background of experience. And then all of that's there. And uh, in the, the model, it's a very simple analysis that we have, um, the, the model is we have uh, our senses meet various objects. And so we uh, are hearing, has sound, we meet the sound with our senses. We meet all sorts of objects. And the, the uh, teaching of dependent arising is that with every uh, moment of contact, which is basically a sense meeting an object, could be seeing, hearing, and in many of you know in uh, Buddhist model, thinking is also one of the senses, or the mind, we might say. It's also one of the senses. And then we, we meet uh, the object, there's contact. From every moment of contact, there's a sense of the experience being either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. This is actually what we'll be, I'll be focusing on the rest of the talk. Every moment, there's a, a pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral experience. You probably, how many of you, when I rang the bell, had a sense it was pleasant, relatively pleasant? How many of you had a sense it was unpleasant? A few. How many of you was more or less neutral? Okay, so, okay, well, then I'll, maybe I'll ring the bell for the rest of the evening. Is, so actually, we'll see how, how, if I rang the bell enough, pleasant would become very unpleasant, <laughs> right? So we'll get into that in a moment. So, but the, the teaching is that every uh, contact with an object has uh, either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And because of that background, to the extent that the background of ignorance and habit energy is there, and it's our, actually our mindfulness practice which tends to cut through that. One of the powers that cuts through that, but to the extent that we're driven by that underlying ignorance and the habit energy, we will tend with a pleasant experience to try to grab hold of it. Some of you may have been thinking, maybe I should get one of those bells. I wonder how much they cost. And so maybe not, or maybe it was just very pleasant and you're mindful and so forth, but could have been. But the, the teaching is that with um, pleasant experiences, we will tend, when we're not aware, to grab hold. We see that most easily with food or with other kinds of pleasant experiences, right? That we will you know, often tend to um, want more or want to make sure that it's happening or make sure that it's coming and, um, you know, I think, you know, with eating and so forth, there's sometimes social etiquette that prevents us from really doing what we want to do. But, you know, if you look at kids, they're, they're into it, <laughs> right? And so, um, and then with unpleasant experiences, we tend to push it away. That's probably more obvious. We have, have an unpleasant uh, feeling in the body, we tend to contract around it and so forth. And we have an unpleasant interaction with someone and we, may have something, some reaction occur in the mind or the body, or we may say something to this person. The teachings also, when there's a neutral experience, we tend to space out. So the, the teaching goes further and says that when we have pleasant experience, um, some kind of wanting arises in the mind, which then tends to go to grasping. 
when there's an unpleasant experience, there tends to be aversion in the mind which tends to go to pushing away. And once we grasp or push away in some reactive, unconscious way, we basically uh, are supporting habit energy. We're supporting the habit that will keep doing that. And we, in the teaching, it says the consequences of that is that we basically keep the whole cycle going. We further the habit energy and the teaching, I won't go so much into it now, the teaching is that when we actually set up a life based on compulsive and reactive grasping at the pleasant and pushing away of the unpleasant, it actually does not lead to a happy life. There's some suffering connected with that. It's something we can look at. So that is one of the ways that we find this teaching of feeling tone explained, why it's so important. There's a um, Tibetan teacher and scholar named Reginald Ray, some of you may have read his work. He says, the whole spiritual uh, path unfolds between contact and whether we grasp or not. The whole of the spiritual path, and that's really when we practice mindfulness, a large part of what we do is to look into that interval, you know, look into our patterns, look into our habits, look into what arises. So I want to explore this quality of uh, um, feel it, what's called feeling tone. It's a Vedna in the Pali language. It's sometimes translated as feeling, which isn't a great translation. Um, this really isn't about emotion, it's about the immediate sense of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And uh, emotions are much more complex and they really can arise out of that. So let me talk a little bit more about this. So, and I'll try to bring out further why, why this is pretty important, very important, is that when we don't attend to pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, we tend to be on automatic and we tend to be driven by pleasure and, play and pain without really being aware of it. You know, and that can affect um, what we do when there's pain in the body, what we do with emotional pain. We might say that we may simply react. It, it can totally structure how we relate to others. You know, if I can't be easily with what's unpleasant in an interpersonal context, I will tend to be reactive. And we can look at probably a lot of our challenges in relationships as really challenges in, in how to be with difficult feelings, difficult emotions, difficult experiences of, of, of various kinds. You know, and in, in the world, it's also people have painful experiences and most of the, most of the conflicts and wars of our world are about uh, groups of people who've had really difficult experiences, painful experiences often reacting and often fighting those who they think caused the pain, which then causes further pain, which gives reason for the other side to then attack. A lot of the, a lot of the um, wars are really, um, and conflicts from the interpersonal to the global are very, very much organized by reactive uh, reactions really to, particularly to the unpleasant. So, 
Let me say a few words about the pleasant and the unpleasant and the neutral, and then talk about ways of practicing. So what's very interesting about uh, looking at pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral is that it's, um, it's there kind of on a spectrum. There can be all levels of intensity ranging from total agony to supreme ecstasy. Most of our experience is a little more in the middle, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it goes on that range. And what's also very interesting is that there's nothing uh, necessarily in what we're experiencing which necessarily leads to pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. You know, and I, like I was saying, if I rang the bell enough, what was once pleasant would become unpleasant. You can see this very easily with food. How many of you find broccoli pleasant? How many of you find broccoli unpleasant? Okay. okay. What's a food that some people find unpleasant? Anyone want to name one? Grapefruit. Okay. <laughs> Grapefruit. Not talked about by the Buddha as an example of this, but, but um, how many of you find grapefruit pleasant? Okay. So you see there's variance, you know, and there's, um, you know, and you have enough of something, it can be quite unpleasant. I, I learned this when I lived in a group house once and we had a woman from Iraq who, uh, you know, usually on the weekend she would cook baklava. So it was like all you can eat baklava. <laughs> and I discovered that at a certain point baklava was awful. <laughs> like the third or fourth piece of baklava, you know? Or another interesting example that I, I heard from uh, Guy Armstrong uh, concerns uh, Montavani. People know Montavani? It's kind of elevator music. And for some people, Montavani or elevator music is quite pleasant. Guy said his mother finds Montavani really pleasant. But he also, he told me the story of um, a 7-Eleven in Southern California where in the parking lot there were drug dealers and they really had a problem with the 7-Eleven with drug dealers. And so the owner of the 7-Eleven installed a loudspeaker in the parking lot and played Montavani. <laughs> and we might say the unpleasant feeling tone for the drug dealers of Montavani. Well, led them to go elsewhere. So it didn't, you know, it didn't uproot the drug dealing problem per se, but it, it solved the problem locally, <laughs> at least for the 7-Eleven. So that's, it's really interesting about the feeling tone that it's very variable, right? You know, we can find something pleasant one day, unpleasant another day, you know. You know, at a certain point, people in the Bay Area find all this beautiful, warm, sunny weather, unpleasant. They said, can't we have some rain? Can't we have some clouds? It's pleasant weather. We haven't got there yet, but you know, it happens, right? So, so very, very interesting. So the, what one, you know, the, one of the aspects of feeling tone is that it really is dependent on the perceiver, the context, and so forth. It's very, very interesting. <clears throat> and so um, the presence of the pleasant or unpleasant uh, 
is not really the issue. It's what we do with it. It's the, the reactions that we have that's really taken as problematic. So um, it's sometimes thought that in Buddhist practice, there's a negative view towards pleasure, but that's actually not true. The problem is what we do with pleasure. And I, I once was teaching uh, on this topic to a group that I was working with over actually quite a few years. And I said, there's nothing wrong with pleasure at all. You know, we could just sit here uh, in all of our meditation evenings and just eat chocolate the whole time. And there'd be no problem with that. It's really what we, what happens? Do we, uh, how do we relate to the um, pleasant feeling tone of chocolate? And they said, um, let's do that next time. <laughs> and so we did, we just ate chocolate for a whole evening and studied, and studied feeling tone. I'm sorry, I didn't, I could have done that tonight, but I, I didn't, so. It's one of the benefits of like, studying something two weeks in a row. It could ask you to have chocolate every, every day for the next week and study it and come back with report. You still could do that. <laughs> so, so it's very, very interesting. It's really uh, what, we're, what we're interested in is are the kind of reactions that occur when there's the presence of the pleasant or the unpleasant. And some of you know this really uh, powerful teaching, which is one of my favorite teachings. It's one that I like to give, called the teaching of the two arrows. How many of you know the teaching of the two arrows or the two darts? It's, it's a powerful one. It's also kind of a restatement of the core teachings. It goes like this. The Buddha was um, asked, or he had, no, he asked um, his practitioners, um, everyone has pleasant and unpleasant experiences. What differentiates a practitioner from a non-practitioner? And he said, his answer was, it's like this. Everyone is as if shot by an arrow, and he was particularly focusing on the um, experience of the unpleasant. Everyone is shot by an arrow. That's the arrow we could call the unpleasant. The unpleasant is there. Uh, we're all shot by an arrow, uh, different degrees. We have a time, and we could call this first arrow pain. We all have a certain amount of physical pain at times. You know, we get sick and so forth. Um, we're vulnerable, we can easily have physical pain. We also very often can have emotional pain or pain in relation to our thoughts and so forth. And we sometimes are treated unfairly, there's injustice and we're, uh, we can have pain in relation to that. And he said that in the fact of the first arrow, everyone is alike. What differentiates differentiates a practitioner from a non-practitioner is what you do with it, what you do, what one does when there's that pain. And he said, a non-practitioner, because of the first arrow, tends to shoot a second arrow. We might say either at oneself or others when the first arrow is there. And so that's when we're more unconscious, when we're more following old habit energy, and we have uh, physical pain we tend to contract around it. One of the reasons why meditation has been so important in the medical field is because um, so much 
of uh, what patients experience as pain is not the original stimulus, but it's their reactions. People tensing, tightening. Of course, you know, not just physically, but also emotionally. You know, that we know we can have a five minute experience, physical or emotional, and have a three day or three month funk because of that. You know, emotionally we can have difficult experience and then have reactions that last a hundred or a thousand times longer than the original experience. So we can have, we can shoot the second arrow emotionally. I have something difficult happen with a um, relationship and I react back, you know, I have difficult emotion and I react back. Or I'm treated unfairly and I react back in blaming or judging or whatever. And I can, that reaction can go inward, it can also go outward, you know. And so the practitioner basically learns not to shoot the second arrow. It's right at the core of our practice. That's why it's so important to learn how to be present with the pleasant and the unpleasant, and sometimes just sit there and study it. What is this? Because with, if we don't do that, we will shoot the second arrow. We will continually shoot the second arrow. The non-practitioner does that. The practitioner learns to be with the pleasant, like my group with the chocolate, and study the tendency to grasp, and learn over time, just with mindfulness, to be with the pleasant and study it. And notice the mind thoughts coming out of that, just to be with the pleasant, just to look at it, study it, what's it like? Where is the mind going? Does it tend to proliferate? Does it tend to uh, come up with ideas and so forth? And we can hang out with the unpleasant and learn how to be with the unpleasant without reacting in the body, emotionally, and so forth, or noticing when we do react. It's not like we say, okay, you won't react. It's more that we actually study our reactions. That's how we learn. We study our reactions, let's say, with the unpleasant. You're sitting, we're sitting there with um, maybe unpleasant sensations in the shoulder, and we just stay with it, and we learn how to stay with that rather than just instantly shifting, you know? When, we, when we're, you know, when it's not an, let's say it's not an injury, we're not hurting ourselves, it's just the body being a little uncomfortable. And we learn how to be with that, or we learn how to be with a difficult emotion, maybe anger or sadness. And we learn how to be mindful with it and just be present. Doesn't mean we don't respond or do something, but we do so more from um, responsiveness rather than reactivity. And this is the core of our practice. This is, so being able to be with the pleasant and the unpleasant is right at the center. It lets us not shoot the second arrow. It lets us be present. It, again, we may act in all sorts of ways. I may be with the shoulder. I may say, oh, I'm not sure this is so good for me. And maybe I move, you know. Or I'm with a difficult um, emotion that came from an interaction. And I, I sit with the anger and maybe... Later, I choose to respond or act in a certain way. But the, the invitation to mindfulness is to be with the pleasant and the unpleasant. Notice the habitual tendencies of the mind. Study them over and over again. That's it. Study them over and over again. And in doing so, we learn not to follow, as it were, 
the old habitual pathways. There really, there really are, the old habits are all neural pathways. They're old neural pathways. And when we cultivate mindfulness, we're basically setting up new neural pathways. On the level of the brain, it's pretty clear in that sense. And so, um, we can do this in all sorts of contexts, you know. One of my favorite places to study feeling tone is at the dentist. <laughs> you know, I watch the, you know, you know, someone come, the, one of the dentist or his assistant comes towards me with it, like one of those uh, needles that's like about a foot and a half long, you know those really long needles that I, I think my mind makes them bigger than they are, but they're, they're, they're big, you know, they're, they're big needles. And, you know, and then one can, I can sit there thinking, basically this is gonna be awful. <laughs> Right. I sit there and I can notice my mind doing that. That's driven by um, aversion in relation to un- imagining unpleasant feeling tones. And I can notice that, I can let it go. And then I can, when the actual sensations are there with the dentist, I can say, let me just be with this at the level of sensation and notice what's happening. You can do that, you can do all these. There are so many examples. You can have a meal and study feeling tone pleasant and unpleasant, you can, can do that. Um, can one, of the, um, one of the interesting experiences I did when I was studying this on retreats is sometimes I would situate myself so I could watch everyone coming into the dining hall. And I would sit there sometimes and just notice if there was a sense of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral with each person coming in. You know, so I'd sit there and look and just watch what was there immediately, pleasant. Unpleasant, very pleasant, (laughs) neutral, neutral, very unpleasant. (laughs) You know, and we all do that, you know. It's really interesting when I, when I um, was having some training in psychotherapy, they had us do some version of that because you really, as a teacher or psychologist, you better know what your sense of feeling tone is towards the person you're working with, right? Otherwise, it's going to be unconscious reactions, right? So really important on all sorts of levels, you know. And what I also like about that teaching of the two, of the two arrows is that it really goes all the way from the um, individual, experiential, all the, it, it can make a lot of sense of the interpersonal dimension, and also makes a lot of sense of the social dimension. Like I think of um, people like Gandhi and King or Dorothy Day, people advocates of nonviolence. Nonviolence is basically saying, we have received pain and we will not react and inflict further pain. And we will also respond. You see how that's connected? It's really a version of this core teaching about the two arrows. It's a way, it's also, so it's also a theory of social change. This teaching goes all the way from the individual to the, to the global almost, to the social. So let me, let me give, um, a f- how to work. Let me give a few ways of working with feeling tone concretely in your practice, okay? Let me give maybe four or five ways of working with feeling tone that you can take home. I mean, I think you got a sense, you know, you know maybe, I don't know if, you know, it's not, ex- there are other ways of practicing besides, you know, like eating chocolate. 
but that's a good starting point. <laughs> okay. okay, so um, first way, one really good way to work with uh, feeling tone as a practice is to look in your experience for any strong sense, particularly in your meditation when you're sitting, but you can also do it anytime, look for a particularly strong sense of the pleasant or unpleasant and say, I'm just going to be mindful right now. Okay, so you're sitting there and you have a really unpleasant thought. Have your radar out for the quality of pleasant and unpleasant. Notice the, the strongly pleasant or the strongly unpleasant and just watch what happens. Watch the way it is in the body, watch the way it is in the mind, study it with mindfulness. That's a great way, that's a, you know, one of the fundamental ways of studying this. So can you really be mindful of the strongly pleasant or the strongly unpleasant? Not so easy, right? Because the reactions tend to occur. You know, so, um, and, look, and watch also the tendency when there's a strong pleasant or strong unpleasant experience for the minds to start working, to start conceptualizing it. Because the practice is really, can one stay on a really fundamental level of the sensations of the body or just with the emotion? And just really notice the tendency for the mind just to go somewhere, to tell stories. And so it's a fundamental way to practice. Um, a way to, uh, the neutral feeling tone is harder to study. And so that might be, a way to study that would be to take maybe a period, could be just three minutes in your practice, and try to look out for the neutral tone. Maybe even like right now. Can you just look into your experience right now? And is there some part of your experience right now that's somewhat neutral? Maybe your body feels relatively neutral. Just be with that for no, 15 seconds right now. And when I was doing that just now, it, it was changing, right? You could, how many people stayed with it? It seemed neutral at first, and then it kind of changed as you stayed with it. Yeah, that's what I noticed. I noticed it started to become unpleasant. You know? So it was very, very interesting. You can look at neutral. Another way to work with feeling tone is periodically just to keep, just to check in. You know, you can just say, you can do this in a meditation, or you can do this just during the day. You can ask during meditation every five minutes, check in what's the predominant feeling tone right now? Or what's the feeling tone with what's predominant? And it could be if you're being with the breath or the body, it could be just to look at that, to see what's there. Could be to, turn, to check into the mood, to really tune in there. Another way of practicing is to take probably a short period and just follow every moment of experience and notice the sense of feeling tone. The teaching is that every moment has some feeling tone. It's not just the big ones or little ones, but every moment. Remember, it's that sense of Every moment of contact has that, has that sense of, has a feeling tone. You know, every moment, you, if you tune into your left elbow, there's a feeling tone. Or you tune into what's the emotional mood right now, there's a feeling tone. So 
One way of doing is really tracking it like for maybe for three minutes and just track it continually. Okay, what's there right now, right now? See what's predominant and just track that. It's very, very interesting. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's very interesting just to track it like when you wake up in the morning. What's my feeling tone right now? Tired, unpleasant. Have to get up, unpleasant thoughts. You know, have to pee, unpleasant. Pee, pleasant. <laughs> you know, you can just track. You see, you can, it's really interesting. You just track it, then you have breakfast, pleasant, pleasant, pleasant. Very, it's very simple practice. You can just do it like that. Um, Maybe a last way is to particularly look when you're following feeling tone and you're mindful of feeling tone, notice the degree to which there's freedom. Maybe another way of saying this is when you watch feeling tone, try to track the extent to which the feeling tone itself drives your behavior and the extent to which there's freedom. Because the whole purpose of this It's not to, the purpose of this is not to have pleasant feeling tone or unpleasant feeling tone. It's basically not to be driven by unconscious habit energy in our life with physical sensations, in our emotional life, in our thought life, in our interpersonal life. It's to be able to actually cultivate enough mindfulness so that we're not driven in the usual way. It's, very, it's a very, very, again, simple and direct. It's almost like a major pivot of practice. If we can do that, and of course, it's harder with some of the you know, more difficult emotions. If we can do that, we actually um, tremendously increase the level of freedom in our own lives to have that degree of ability to be mindful with what formally just drives us in one way or the other. And ultimately, when we do that more and more, it also helps tremendously with our interpersonal relationships so that we're not driven by just the old habits of reacting in certain ways, you know, which um, is there, you know, even if there's a certain amount of beauty and wonderful quality of relationships, almost every relationship has certain reactive patterns. You know, I, I found, I find in my closest relationships, they're in part defined by one or two or three reactive dysfunctional patterns that are continually repeated. Anyone else relate to that? <laughs> Just a small percentage of the group. <laughs> Small percentage of the group raised their hand. So, so it can give, so this very simple practice, you know, I have, I have a friend who has a wonderful simple practice, which I don't think she particularly uh, was informed by studying feeling tone, but she is a practice when some, someone says something that feels uncomfortable to her, instead of reacting with, why did you say that? Or something, she just says, ouch. 
Maybe some of you do this. I've, you know, it's, it's actually done, I've heard it done in some settings as a, a community practice. And she says, ouch. And at first I thought it was kind of cute, you know, like California, you know. But it's actually pretty profound. It's basically saying, this, I am registering the feeling tone, and I think implicitly I am saying, if I'm not conscious of that ouch, I'm going to tend to react. Right? And I'm announcing for myself and for you that I'm hurting. You know, and we know that when we're not conscious of that and we're hurting, we hurt others. You know, it's like that statement some of you may know, hurt people hurt people. Do you know that one? Have you heard that? And so this is really, this practice is a way of stopping the cycles of reactivity and ultimately stopping the cycles of repetitive pain that are there in our individual lives, in our interpersonal lives, and also in our collective lives. So it's a very powerful, simple, strong, beautiful, challenging practice. Thank you. <laughs> so was the talk pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, I won't ask you to raise your hand about pleasant, unpleasant, it's probably different at different times, you know. So anyway, um, we have some time for questions or reflections or discussion. Anyone wants to ask anything or anything sparked by what I said? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, we want to record the... Yeah, so I can repeat that one. Uh, yeah, she, she just said it's very useful. Anything further to say? Is that enough? Yeah. 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 So, having a technique, to, simple technique to work with some places where this person is stuck uh, and reactive. And we, we all have those places. So now we'll use for the next ones. We'll use the microphone. Yeah. yeah I'm wondering if you can speak to. Uh, chronic physical pain uh, and not shooting the second arrow yeah. in regards to that. Yeah, yeah. so chronic physical pain is actually, um, you know, that, that um, finding that so much of um, um, what's there in the medical area and seen as pain is more the second arrow. That was actually the, I think, uh, I don't know if it was thought about exactly in those terms, but the first application of meditation in the, medi in the uh, a medical field was for chronic pain, precisely because of that, for that reason. That if people can learn to relax with the sensations which are unpleasant, but, uh, and can relax with them more, not react either with the mind or the body, you know, as much as 80% 
of what's experienced as pain can be eliminated. That was, you know, I'm, I'm sure it varies very much individually, but I think that that's the basis for that kind of work. And it still means that 20% is there and 20% may feel like a lot, but there, it, it makes it uh, more workable, you know, and, uh, you know, and I know in that, in that field, it, it's, again, it's very individual and sometimes there's definitely a place for, for medications at times. But, but if, if, you know, if one can reduce the second arrow or eliminate the second arrow, that can make a huge difference for people. You know, and it's also, I think, very much could, you know, could be a technique at a, in a psychological level as well. Or it could be, you know, I, you know, again, could be something done in counseling, couples counseling, you know. You know, let's, let's study, let's study, honey, our ways that we shoot the second arrow at each other. Or, and is there a different approach? So, thank you. Um, so we have three, one, one, two, three. So in the back and then uh, in the first row at either end. Hi. Hi. Um, can you, is this on? Yeah. Can you say a little more about um, working with the vednas um, in in an actual sitting, uh, like how to enter? Because I'm I'm finding that the the practice of observing neutral is fairly new, but I'm yeah. glad I finally got there, having been a greed type yeah. for so long. Um, and so I'm still kind of definitely going after the pleasant. Yeah. Um, so. So I, I guess I'm catching myself, um, yeah, still like drifting into pleasant a lot and yeah. forgetting to work with the neutral. Yeah. Yeah, well, the neutral is maybe the most subtle in certain ways, and, but, but you're really asking about how in general to practice with pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, right, in, in the context of a sitting. Um, so let's say that, you know, that first approach that I suggested was to look out for strong, relatively strong versions of the pleasant and unpleasant. And then if, if that's there, to uh, stay with the experience at whatever level it's at. It could be at the level of sensations, if it's bodily experience. If you notice, you, you could actually sometimes have an ongoing labeling, like saying, just saying unpleasant. Yeah unpleasant. And try to see, try to actually with the mindfulness notice what is the experience of the unpleasant? What, what is the body and mind doing when the so-called unpleasant is there? It's something that we, in a way, we let ourselves be driven, but we may not have really studied it. What is that actually like? And what we find and is that it goes against our conditioning very much, especially for something strong you know, that we can sometimes sit with strong, unpleasant sensations and the mind can say, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, or I don't like this and so forth. And so it, it really goes sometimes right against the conditioning. It's hard, but we can use the label pl pleasant or unpleasant, stay with it, really notice it, particularly be on the lookout for the conceptualizing the mind going somewhere, telling a story, um, 
um, making some projection into the future and so forth. So really to track that, you know, and over, over time we, we start to see patterns. So, it, you know, like, like everything with our practice, this really requires a repetition. And so we could use, you know, we can use those labels, uh, pleasant, unpleasant. The main thing is to really be with it and just hang out with it and see what that's like. Yeah, thanks. So we have, uh, maybe we'll just take, uh, I think in terms of time, we'll just probably take these two on the ends. And uh, I too had a question um, yeah. about neutral. Yeah. And uh, we do tend to space out yeah. when nothing's happening. If it's yeah. an intense emotion for positive or yeah. negative, we're, we're there for that. But neutral is almost defined as not positive and not negative. Yeah. So it's subtle, but I just, there's more to it. It's, it's one of the foundations and it's one of the three within yeah. feeling tone. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, like I said, it's more, more subtle. We don't give so much attention to it. So it could be, it can be a value, just like I said, for quite a short period, just to really study neutral. You know, like just to feel, okay, what's it like? And maybe you notice, okay, I'm with a relatively neutral feeling in my body and maybe my mind just tends to go somewhere else. What, what, what's the experience of neutral? Or it's just, uh, or it's actually, oh, it's actually subtly unpleasant. And I thought it was neutral at first. So it's to really give attention in that way. Uh, either by saying doing it for a short amount of time or just periodically checking in and seeing what the feeling tone is. And, uh, and just we, we want to find ways to study each of these and see particularly what the mind does. You know, when, I'm, when something neutral is happening in my experience, when I'm meditating, is, are those the moments I tend to space out or to deal with something? Am, am I... Uh, a drama queen or king, I really like intensity. Not intense, pleasant or unpleasant, but neutral. <laughs> Very unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> so, maybe, okay, last one. Um, so, I had a question about inclinations. Yeah. So, um, you know, when something is going well or some important thing is going badly, I tend to ignore either the pleasant or the unpleasant in everyday life. And in retrospect, you know, after you know maybe several hours of this, I like remember like, oh yeah, I kind of glossed over one or the other because I had this bias. But it it's very difficult for me to actually, as it's happening, see that happening. So I was wondering if you had any ideas about that. Okay, um, take your hand, okay, and press your finger into a place that's in your hand that's unpleasant, that causes unpleasant sensations, and study it right now. Everyone can do this too. Not, not to put you on the spot, so to speak, but uh, could, you, could you stay with that a little bit? And so it's really to just see when there's something, you have to have your radar out for the pleasant and unpleasant. And you can do it in just very ordinary circumstances where, for example, you know maybe eating, you know there's gonna be primarily pleasant experience. Just take a meal 
and study the, un- the, the pleasant. You know, or maybe, maybe when you're tired, like at night, just for three minutes before you go to sleep, just feel the body and tune into the unpleasant. So it's very, it's very ordinary. You don't, we don't uh, need to go out of the way to find pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral because it's there so much. And so does that help a little bit with access? I, I guess the, my, my difficulty is that when I have one of these biases, it's, it's more difficult to get that access yeah. than, than kind of when I don't. Yeah, when you have certain, when it goes more into a thought, thought realm. Well, um, then start with the ones that are simpler, which, which aren't connected with those inclinations, like, just like the examples I gave. Start there. Maybe the ones that you're talking about are a little more complex, and they're a little harder, less accessible, and to start with the ones that are a little more accessible. You know, you know, not to take the most challenging kinds of feeling tone, like not, maybe not to start with your complex emotions when one's partner said this. <laughs> okay. That's a com- there's going to be a feeling tone there, but it's going to be complex. Maybe you start with the simple ones, like just the simple sensations of the body, uh, taste, and so forth. Maybe, that, maybe that's a good, yeah, start with the simple and move to the complex. Yeah, there we go. Okay, there we go. Okay, so it's time. So we, we finish uh, our gathering really with two, in two ways. Both of which, again, are connected with intention. You know, I didn't talk so much about intention, but a little bit at the beginning, but... Um, so much of our practice sessions are framed by intention. We can set intentions in the, uh, at the beginning of a session. And then the end, you know, as, as is done here uh, every week, there is what's called dedication of merit, which is the remembering that, you know, I think it's very clear from the talk, the examples, that we do this practice, let's say, with feeling tone, very, not just for ourselves, we do it for ourselves in our own well-being, but it has such an impact on others. If we become skilled with feeling tone, you know, it really, it really helps others. And we remember that our, you know, our motivation is to, both for our own healing and well-being, but also to help others. And we, we really, uh, we offer, in this very traditional uh, um, model, we offer the fruits of our evening together. We, we offer them for the benefit of all. You know, coming out of coming out of our time together, and then we also uh, remember the spirit of metta or friendliness, translated off as loving kindness, but probably better translated as a, a deep friendliness. And we um, have that sense in our heart, if that feels accessible now, a sense of a wish for our own well-being and a wish for the other's well-being and feel that in one's heart if that can feel present. And let that move outward (coughs) to fill the hall here with the wish for well-being for all of us. And let that feeling in the heart then move outward into the world being one's way of meeting every being with the wish, may this being be well, may this being 
have deep happiness. May all beings be well. May all beings reach deep happiness and an awakening. So thank you. I could stay and talk about this for another hour, but um, it's time. So thank you so much for your your really kind attention and really uh, good questions. And may, may you have a wonderful mix of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral experience. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.